Greetings, I'm John Duvall. Welcome back to another Truth Factor discussion. I hope you're having a good Thursday. Better yet, a great Thursday. We're currently going through the process, or through the study, I should say, of Ecclesiastes. And in a few minutes here, we'll pick up in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there in verse 12. Now, if you'd like to participate in our study today, we'd, we'd love to hear your thoughts, your comments, questions, and ideas. To do that, if you're watching us on our Facebook page, then use the comment section connected with this video and let us know what you have to think. If you're viewing this via YouTube on our YouTube channel, then use the chat area there. You can also, if you'll watch the ticker at the bottom of the screen there, you can send us an email, even a text message. We try to monitor those. If we don't get to it during our study, we'll, of course, definitely try to bring it in on our next study. Um, we're going to forego our Q&A fourth Thursday. We're still in the early stages of getting that rolled out. And um, I think what we're going to try to do is push forward through Ecclesiastes. And then maybe after our ecclesiastical study is finished, then um, you know, pick up any questions that might have been submitted and then bring those into a, um, a study at that point. But let me go ahead and bring into, um, our study today, everyone who is present. We're missing some. Uh, Paul is still occupied with personal things he's having to take care of. Uh, Brendan, uh, has been asked to teach a Bible class the fourth Thursday of the month. So, this time slot is now taken up for him. But we do have Brian and Tom. Tom is back with us. We missed you last week. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. fantastic. And I'm doing fine. I'm doing okay here. What Tom or John, you needed to say, and I and I don't know enough about sports to remember exactly, but whenever like at the Olympics they had all the professional basketball players, what they call them, the wonder team, the dream team. That's what you've got here today. Oh, so something yeah. like this. Yeah. Here's the dream team, Which, folks, back for another period of exp- exposition. Never mind. Yeah. So Yeah. Prepare to exp- ex- prepare to experience <laughs> your nightmare. None of us are radio <laughs> broadcasters, are we? <laughs> Well, I've got uh, a face for radio. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I got hair for TV, but face for radio too. So, <laughs> so let's go ahead and jump into our study. Uh, let me see who's with us in the chat room. We've got Michael Davis has joined us. Uh, Chris Kramer has joined us as well. Um, is it Eileen Haynes? Eileen, Eileen Haynes. Eileen, Eileen Haynes. One of my Haynes? two most favorite okay. women in the world. All right. Very good. And we may have others. And if you'd like to say, hey, I'm here, tell us where you're from, uh, that'd be wonderful. We'd love to know, love to be able to say, hey. But let's go ahead and get into our study. Last week, we were looking, let's back up to verse 9. And Ryan, if you would go ahead and read verses 9 through 15, I believe. And then uh, we'll kind of continue the discussion there and then um, continue forward from that. Unmute myself, and I'll be reading for the New King James, verses uh, chapter 3, verses 9 through 15. What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And... 
also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor, it is the gift of God. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. That which has already been and what is uh, what is to be has already been. And God requires an account of what is past. Okay. So going back, and like I said, we are discussion last week. We made it up to verse 12. Any thoughts about this particular section you want to highlight, Brian? You know, this is uh, picking up with our big theme, the, you know, and I, and I know I've, I've been saying it's the big experiment, all the different things he's tested. Um, and we're going to come back and reassess some of those things that we've talked about already. But there's a couple of really remarkable things. In fact, I would say that verses 9 through 15 actually are one of the concluded conclusion statements that uh, Solomon is giving us kind of a preface of where he's going and he's going to stretch this out and fulfill it at the end. That there's a sense that um, that apart from God, nothing can be certain. Um, you know, I think this statement in verse 11, no one can find out what God does from beginning to end. That means for, on a natural basis. God can reveal it to us. But we can't determine that by pleasure, by work, by, um, I have to remember all the different things, by wealth, by power, all the different things that we've said uh, are the assessments of how it is that, that Solomon is trying to get a knowledge of the world. So uh, those things aren't going to reveal what the will of God is for man, and they're not going to give a value to life. And so the idea that he wants us to understand is that the only values that come from that come in life are when a man does know God, which which he kind of ties, of course, in this context to work. He says, you know, you you believe it or not, work and you know the day to day existence you have there is is actually a gift from God. Um, he says, uh, and that's the circumstance of these things. Um, but he also wants us to know a little bit about more about God. Um, everything man does is finite. Everything we are is finite. No matter how. Uh, hard we work, it's finite. But everything God does is eternal, Is uh, has a concept uh, that's beyond us. And I mean to say that God has a has a purpose that's far beyond anything we can, we can say or do. Verse 14 hits this, and he wants men to figure this out and to have a sense of the, the trepidation between God and man. And that's the, that's the real big idea. The idea that when any thoughtful man comes before God, he's he's afraid. He's fearful. Um, you know, I was talking with somebody yesterday who was making the point about uh, some of these things that are going on right now in the news, the revivals and such, and they're talking about how people are running around happy and joyful. And this person made a point to me yesterday. He said, yeah, but you know, in the Bible, whenever Manoah or Joshua or Moses or Isaiah, when these people are before God, they're terrified because they actually have sense. They say, you know what? To be before God is a terrifying thing. And that is a, perhaps a sense of what we're, we've got going on here. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, um, and, 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 you know, it's also interesting. I know that, that this was in your text in verse 11. You know, it's interesting how he makes the point that, you know, we can't find out the work of God. But at the same time, he put eternity in our hearts, which, which means to, to me, that's an expression that just clearly indicates um, that we were created to believe in God, you know, to believe that there's something great. And then you probably talked about that last week, but, um, but that, but that does lead into where we are today with what we have in verse 12. So. 
Well, you're right. We did talk about that last week, but I think it's I think it's a very valid point. Very, very valid point. Yeah. There was something interesting that I noticed in verse three as we were reading not verse three, verse thirteen, where let's bring it up here on the screen. He makes a statement here and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. So two words there, good and then the word labor. All right. So when we think about Adam and Eve, when they had to, uh, well, Adam ended up having to not just care for the garden, but he would later end up tilling the garden, laboring there in the garden. You know, he says by, what was it? The phrase by the sweat of your brow, you were late, you will labor and toil. Um, all the days of your life, making it sound like a very hard existence, and rightfully so, compared to what they had in the garden. But Solomon is kind of looking at this as the labor, and the result of that labor is a gift from God. You know, someone says, man, I've worked hard all my life so that I could live. I have earned everything. Well, maybe you view it that way. But the ability to labor and the ability to profit from your labor is, should all of this should be considered as a gift of God. I'm looking at verse 13 there. Yeah, that's a, yeah. It's a great yeah, point, yeah. Tom. Or John, go ahead, Tom. Oh, oh so sorry. Uh, no, you go ahead. I'll... Oh, no, I was just going to say, it's a great point. It's interesting, back in chapter 1 and verse 13, he said that work is the burdensome task that God has given. And now he's coming back and saying, but you know what? That's kind of what our life amounts to in the end, you know. Yeah. Um, now, let's be very clear. His big idea is work's not enough. Um, you know, we recently saw a movie, A Man Called Otto. Um, I, I don't recommend movies. I'm not sure I'd recommend this one. But one of the ideas was this man works all of his life, and then they let him go at the end. And the idea kind of is he has nothing to show for it, you know, that there's all these labors have have nothing that's substantial or long-term. Um <clears throat> And that's kind of Solomon's point. You know, work's not going to give you something that's that that leaves a legacy, that gives you value, but it gives you value every day. It, it's the day-to-day thing that you have. And we might contrast that with being a New Testament Christian and the idea of the personal work that we do. Uh, Ephesians 5 and 6, husbands love your wives, uh, you know, uh, wives submit to your husbands, parents, children, employment, uh, servants, masters, employee, employers. Uh, these day-to-day relationships are where our, you know, the value in our day-to-day life is going to be found. Um, and certainly those are the things that measure our service to God as well. So it, it's kind of important to understand, don't miss, don't miss the important things that are right in front of you every day by falsely seeking legacy and accomplishment. All these things that Solomon says are vanity. They, they don't work. Um, you can seek it and may never get it. If you get it, somebody else will take it. You know, these are the points that he wants us to understand that there's no, there's no legacy value. There's no meaning of life and work, but there is something that we can find in that day to day enjoyment of it. Yeah. Good point. Uh, exactly right. And, and another thought that comes to my mind when I think about this verse is he says, eat, drink, and enjoy the good of his neighbor or his labor. Understand, I sincerely believe God wants us to enjoy life to the best of our ability. Vacations are not wrong. A day off is not wrong. A hobby is not wrong. You know, provided provided it is done with balance, 
you know, yeah, I mean, you've got to keep your perspective in mind. And again, it should not be your pursuit. But nevertheless, if it is there, you know, uh, you, it's a blessing from God. Use it. Now, think about that um, in contrast with our society today. You know, it almost seems like we're living in a society, the way that things are right now, if you are prosperous, you're supposed to feel guilty about it. You know, you, 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 uh, you, uh, sh- shame on you because there's that poor guy that has just a, that has less than you. And you ought to be thinking about that person instead of enjoying yourself doing something. And, and our society wants to guilt us and things like that. I realize there's times when, uh, again, there's times when we go overboard. And, and, uh, and, and that's the point that Solomon has been dealing with, the, the vanity of making these things your pursuits. But at the same time, you know what, if you worked hard all your life and, and you're able to retire comfortably, don't feel guilty because of that. Be thankful that you're able to do that. You know, don't don't forget about the fact that there are others who are less fortunate. And if your perspective is what it ought to be, you have opportunity to help somebody you're going to. But at the same time, enjoy what you have and make the best of it. Uh, you know, I attitudes are so important in our lives uh yeah. uh you know that there's two different perspectives where attitudes are concerned uh, you have the the people that have the types of attitudes that you enjoy being around and you look forward to being in their presence and then you have the other person that walks in the room and you grit your teeth if you have to deal with it or if you can, you run to the hills. You know, you 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 find a way, uh, you find a way to get out because they've got the this sour disposition about they're miserable and they make everybody around them miserable. Enjoy life, enjoy it within the bounds that God has blessed you. That's just some thoughts. Exactly. Well, let's bring in a couple of thoughts from the chat room. Michael has submitted some. Mike, it's good to see you. Hope things are going all right for you um, in, was it Orleans, Indiana? Is that right? Um, let's see. Michael, Michael says first, if it requires man's wisdom to complete God's word, his church, his work, etc., then God is incomplete and man is the superior. That just won't work. And then Mike chimes in, says, took Solomon some time to learn that truth. And, you know, in the context of what we're talking about, and that's exactly right. Um, we know that the Lord gave Solomon much wisdom, but I believe a lot of what we read here, while it may have come from that given wisdom, it probably came from life experience as well, especially the way that he words the text here. And then one more, even in Solomon's Proverbs, terms like slugger, idleness, etc., show the need for righteous men to work. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Even preachers. All right, let's see. Let me come back to everybody. Any thoughts or comments about that before we continue? It's a good point. Good point, Mike. Appreciate it. Um, one more interesting thought. I just like this verse, and then we'll we'll move forward there in our study, where he says in the text there that which is sorry that which is has already been, and what is to be has already been. And here's the important part: and God requires an account of what is past. So 
something to think about. What you do today may go to someone else tomorrow and may seem like vanity, but you'll still have to give an account of it to the Heavenly Father. And that's very crucial to remember. All right. Any other thoughts or comments before we look at the next section? Take a moment. If you have any thoughts for us, let us know. You can drop in your thoughts on our, the co- as a comment to our Facebook video or chat area in our YouTube video. You can do that as well or send it to us through email. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you have to think. And our email address is questions at truthfactorlive.com. Questions at truthfactorlive.com. All right, let's go ahead and look now at the next section. Let's see, Brian, you read that first one, didn't you? All right, Mr. Tom, let's take a look. Let's start with verse 16, and let me see how far down I want to go. Let's read down through. Let's stop at the end of chapter 3. I think the idea here that we'll be looking at goes through verse 3 of chapter 4. But we'll take a break there at the end of chapter 3. So let's read, if you would, Tom, verses 16 through 22 there. All right. Okay. Moreover, I saw under the sun, in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. I said in my heart, concerning the conditions of the sons of men, God tests them that they may see that they themselves are like animals. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from dust, and all return to dust. Who knows the spirit of the sons of men, which goes upward, and the spirit of the animal, which goes down to the earth? So I perceived that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? All right, so, Tom, this is one of the passages that really, in my mind, helps us to see that we have to keep in mind that what Solomon is talking about here, what the writer is talking about, is in many times looking at life itself and the vanity of this life. You know, we don't read this and draw the conclusion that the spirit of man and the spirit of animal is identical that there is truly nothing after death. That's not his point. His point here is he's talking about the vanity. Let's see, what was this particular category? Oh, well, okay, the vanity of mortal life would be one way of looking at that. So what are your thoughts, Tom? Let's go back to verse 16, and and let's go ahead and talk a little bit about this section here and walk us through it. Yeah, well, well, you know, uh, you know after Paul taught Paul Solomon, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Paul's not here this week, so, so after Solomon makes this observation about enjoying life and those things, you know, he makes the point there that you know what, um, life's not fair, uh, and, and I think that's one of the observations that we just have to we have to deal with. Uh, in the place of judgment, there is wickedness. You know, there are those who are evil, and 
they are going to pass wicked laws and they're going to do wicked things. Um, and also in the place of righteous, even in the place of righteousness, there's iniquity or wickedness in those circumstances as well. You have people that are hypocritical. You have people that are are corrupt. And that's one of the challenges of life. The one that you put your trust in, the one that you think is godly, the one that you think is righteous, and he and he disappoints you and so on. And that just serves as an example of why, why this life can't be the end all. I mean, if, if you live your life and that's all there is, what's the purpose? You know, you know, I mean, why not be that wicked person yourself? You know, I mean, you know, get everything that you can and then make it about what you want and those types of things. But the bottom line is, is Solomon realizes, as verse 17 said, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. And, and that just points to the fact that there is a day of judgment as Jesus taught, as Paul taught, as Peter taught, that there's going to be a judgment and it's going to be for everybody. You know, you know, everybody's going to stand in judgment before God. And, and incidentally, uh, with God, it's going to be an equalizer. You know, uh, uh, there's not going to be any inequity because you don't hide from God. And so he makes that he makes that point there. But then and you go to the verse 18 and, and what he deals with in that particular text, you know, where he talks about uh, he, concerning the conditions of men, God tests them, you know, uh, and of course you've got the idea here of a, uh, you know, I, I uh, God lets things happen, you know, I, I, you know, the way that the world is and so on. And when I see the idea of being tested in these things, I see the idea of uh, it's about how are you going to respond in whatever the given circumstance. But at the same time, there's always the realization that life is fragile, you know. Uh, the life on this earth is going to end. Um, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 4, it is, or uh, not Hebrews 10, it has been appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. We're, we are all going to die, and we just constantly remind ourselves of that. And when uh, verse 20, he makes the point that I'll go to one place. Uh, by the way, he's not saying that uh, there is no eternity. He's just talking about physically the body is going to decay. And by the way, that's true whether you are an animal or whether you are a human being. Any living thing, when it dies, it goes back to the earth. An interesting statement in verse 21, you know, who knows the spirit of the sons of men, which goes upward. And I think there you have Solomon acknowledging that when we die, we're not done, that our soul is going to go somewhere. And then he talks about the spirit of animal which goes down to the earth. By the way, I think that answers the question, will there be animals in heaven? You know, is, is, is my, am I going to greet my puppy or, or, or my cat when I get to heaven? Um, you know, based on this text, that's not what heaven's about. You know, and I know that might not be what people want to hear, but that is the reality of it. And that's why he makes the point that I perceive that there's nothing better. Again, you know, deal with life take it a day at a time, and make the best of your day. And that starts with disposition. That starts with attitude. You can determine 
how good or how bad your day is going to be uh, to a degree. I mean, things happen, but the way you handle it, you can determine how good or how bad it's going to be. So that's kind of my take. Okay. Brian, do you have any thoughts on this? Other you know, than your side to, comment about cats and dogs. Yeah, I did I did say to Tom <laughs> in our side chat that, Tom, there could be dogs in heaven, but I know for sure there won't be any cats because it's heaven, you know. So, well, you uh, know what? I forgot about that. that there like, was sin can't, sin can't was dwell. I about that years ago, a cartoon. That's right. There, there you go. So I that's, guess that has to be true yeah, because Hollywood yeah. wouldn't put anything false on Yeah. But let's be clear. No cats. No cats. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, Tom, it's interesting what you said about verse 21, because that's that's actually one of the clickers for me to think about, that I think that there might be a sense where, too, Solomon is saying from the outer view, which I think that's what Ecclesiastes has started us in, from the worldly view, how can we know that the fate of man is any different than the fate of the animal? You know, if an, a man and an animal both die, they get buried. Five years later, we dig them both up, and they're both the same condition. So, from his worldly viewpoint, he's saying, "Who do? How do we know?" Now, how we know, of course, is by faith. This is statements like in Hebrews, where he says, "The word of God sharper than a double-edged sword." Able, we don't know that there's a resurrection except by faith. Um, we don't know that there's a life after this one except by faith. Now, what I will say that's kind of interesting is Solomon doesn't say ever, "We don't know there's a God except by faith," because Solomon's kind of a well, duh, of course there's a God. Um, you know, you can look around, you see the creation, you see everything around us. There's no question that there's a God. And what I think is interesting is is that uh, that's even the debate today for some people. I don't think there's a God. Uh, well, where do you live? Because somebody made it. You know, how does how does the world order itself? Well, something did all of that. And, and you know, we know that there are some extreme answers that that when you think about them, after a while, you realize these are really ridiculous answers as to how a world could get here without God. Solomon doesn't even question that there's a God. He doesn't even question that. He questions whether or not there's meaning to our life. And and of course, like I said, our connection of God and the afterlife seem like a, a finished conclusion, but it's only because we have the Word of God that tells us these things. So Solomon's perspective might be in verse 21, if if I don't have God promising me that there's something greater than this, if I don't have a message from God, then I have zero proof that there's anything after this. Um, and that's where it's important that we understand that our promises are by faith. You know, we, we that word gets used a lot, right? Uh, because that's everything. You know, we, we don't have a, a you know, uh, I don't know about you guys. I didn't get the magic email when I became a Christian, or uh, of course at that time it would have been a telegram. You know, uh, I didn't get the magic message when I became a Christian that said, hey, uh, here's your ticket in. It was all faith. I, I wash away my sins. I didn't see my sins in the water. Uh, it's by faith. And I'm a child of God now. I didn't get a, you know, a document, a birth certificate. It's by faith. And, and, and so Solomon's point is without faith, without this message from God that tells us things, how do we know? How do we know we're any different than an animal? And truth be told, we don't. That's where, you know, it's going to be a, a, this sense of, you know, uh, that we have to have a, a, a purpose because he says not only if we don't know that he says we're worse off than animals because we know it um you know if you know we've all lost pets 
And, you know, when pets are dying, they don't really know it. They're just kind of, you know, oh, I don't think I'm going to eat today. And that's it. You know, usually that's the end. They don't they don't walk around depressed for six months thinking about, you know, the diagnosis that they have or the the faith that they're looking at. Um, you know, I've got beagles and they do their thing every day till the day they kick out. You know, Tom had a beagle. So Tom knows that story, too. And the point is, that's that's animals. But we have we're much worse off if we don't have a future. We know it. And, you know, the dog, the the especially a beagle, can take pleasure in food and in the day and, and laying by the fire. That's that's its whole life. And Solomon's kind of say, boy, aren't we the worse off for knowing that that's not and that's not what the value of life is. And if we have no divine message on this, then we are really uh, miserable above all things. And in this in this creation, we'd be the worst off of everything if there's no hope, because at least the animals can enjoy every day. They can enjoy the fruit of their labor every day. You know, if they if they dig out, you know, when they dig out the hole in the ground and sleep in it, they enjoy that, and that's their contentment, and they're satisfied, and they don't think about the end of their life. Um, so, the, so I think there's something interesting in verse 21 uh, to some of that too, to say, I think Solomon is leading us to a place where we're going to say, hey, there's more to this, but it's not because of our natural understanding. Yeah, you, you know, and, and, just, yeah, and just, to, just to build real quick on, on, on that observation, if I understand correctly concerning the history of man, uh, total atheism is something that is relatively recent. In, in history, you know, I mean, man has always, I mean, as Solomon's writing this, you know, it wasn't a question, is there a God? The question was, who is God? You know, but, but it wasn't a debate about, is there a God? And, and I mean, I mean, we're talking 18 and 1900s. I, I was actually watching a little bit of a, a, a video this morning um, dealing with uh, Generation Z and, uh, and basically the observation of the video is Generation Z is basically going to be the first generation that is what you would call completely post-Christian, you know, you know, in America from the standpoint of, and, and the emphasis is, is the percentage of, the percentage who are going to just absolutely deny the existence of God. It, it just keeps going up and up and up, you know, and, and that wasn't history. You know, at, when the Bible was written, and and we grew up, you know, and 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 I like to say that we're not that old, <laughs> you know. I mean, we're we're in our fifties and our sixties, you know. We grew up in a society where overall belief was there is a God, and not only that, the overall belief of our society was the Bible is the word of God. Uh, they may not have believed it, as in believing what it says, but they acknowledged the sacredness of the Bible. And of course, totally different times now. And uh, that's just kind of a side note, but but just dealing with the fact that we know as men we're different than animals. You know, you know, Tom, you've done some really great work on evidences. And one of the things that in the work that you've done that's made me think is that truly I, I even question whether or not we even have a truly atheist uh, portion of society because they've just renamed God to the natural chances and natural selections because they they have given those things power that yeah. are uh, near equivalent to God. I mean, uh, they're, they've given uh, uh, a, a, a super intelligence to evolution 
that can only be credited to God. Um, so I think it's an important thing to consider that maybe it's not true atheism. It's just a like natural uh, God, you know, God of nature kind of uh, mindset instead. Yeah, more the concept of agnosticism, because I mean, you know, you think of the concept of, quote unquote, mother nature. You know, you you remember the butter commercials? You know, it's not nice to fool Mother Nature, but the emphasis was is Mother Nature is a god. Uh, you know, you know, you know. Uh, from that standpoint, I mean, uh, atheists they just blind themselves to to uh, uh, acknowledging that there is a being higher than than natural natural forces and stuff like that. But I mean, like you and you make a point deep, deep down, deep down. The, they know that there's questions they can't answer. And I think to some atheism, atheism is a religion, the way yeah. they preach oh, it. And oh, absolutely. You know, uh, John, yeah. I'll even go as far as to say this: a true atheist is a it is a religion. You cannot be a true atheist and not call it a religion. The one that the one that is not religious is the agnostic. Yeah. You know, uh, or 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 you know, now now when they do the surveys, when Barna does their surveys and those kind of things, they add the category uh, prefer not to say, or or no preference. You know that that hmm. and of course and and that group is growing. That group is growing even bigger than the one that will come out right and say there is absolutely no God. It's stupid to believe in a God and those types of things. You know. Interesting. Um, so. Well, yeah, you know, it's, on, uh, no, well, go, go ahead, John. I knew I want to bring in Mike's comment and then hold your thought, Brian. We'll, we'll come right back to you real quick. Um, welcome to the study, Jimmy. It's good to see you. I haven't, um, haven't, uh, it's been a while since we've seen you. <laughs> Jimmy and his family moved away several years back. And so it's good to see you in our study. Um, Mike says the following man's spirit slash soul is the part of us that is eternal. Animals are not like that. Therefore, we can be as God or the animal. It just depends on what we choose. Yeah. All right, go ahead, Brian. Uh, oh, I, I I, know we're beating a dead horse here, but I just think there's so much profound point to what Tom and you were saying about the nature of atheism today and, and uh, uh, the pursuit of these things. Uh, evolution has prophets. Evolution has miracles. Evolution has theological doctrine. You ought to look up some time uh, man's free will and evolution. And they have a very specific doctrine about free will in regards to evolution. And so it, 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 everything about it is a religion as far as it's practiced today. And, uh, I think that that's, that's really important. Um, and I really like Mike's comment there because the apostle Paul talks a lot about, you know, being of the flesh, which is the animal yeah. or being of the spirit, you know, that, uh, that a person chooses. We might consider statements in second Peter or in Jude, where it says when men behave in the flesh, they're like brute beasts. Uh, and there's something really important about that, that a person that acts like a brute beast, uh, doesn't mean that they don't think. It just means that they don't behave in a spiritual way. Uh, Paul would call that in 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, the natural man. And he says, the natural man isn't going to discern the things of God. That's kind of what Solomon is saying. You know, this natural animalistic person, you can't figure out divine things without a lip, without some guidance from God. Even Jesus talking to Peter in Matthew 16, when Peter makes the great confession, he says, you don't learn that from flesh and blood. The Father has to reveal these things to you. And that's the important point that Solomon is saying. Solomon's saying, with God out of the equation, no revelation for God, what can we figure out? What's the meaning of life? And he's saying, hey, there is no meaning. That really is what we uh, are meant to grab here. 
That's right. I have another comment from Danelle. She says, the term Mother Nature is so blasphemous to the father of creation. And she's not wrong about that. I mean, I think Gaia was some uh, character supposed to be the, the goddess of the earth. But for years, we've talked about Mother Earth. And I've seen Christians kind of use that term, not realizing that it is blasphemous when you stop and consider the creator of all things, our Heavenly Father. Giving credit to something that doesn't exist instead of to him. So, um, And one more thought. I, again, I want to bring up this verse right here, and then we'll move on to the next section. Yeah, time permitting. But look here at verse number 22, especially that latter part of it here. So I perceive that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? You know, you can look ahead and maybe see what you're doing currently, but you cannot look ahead to see who's going to be, what's going to happen to the things that you've done. So enjoy what you have while you have it. Um, yeah. Oh, there was, I was going to ask you, uh, put an idea forth to see if I can remember it here real quick. Um, well, I guess not. I'm grabbing for it and it's gone. Yeah, and John, I'll think you know, about it. Good. I was going to say, by the way, no, no manner of predicting what might happen in the future is going to yeah. declare its certainty. Uh, exactly. Um, all I got to say is COVID nineteen, <laughs> and uh, I mean, it turned everything upside down, and we still haven't recovered, or we're, or we're still at, we're we're different. You know. There's so much I'd like to say about that, but I've been accused of talking too much before. So <laughs> let's see. What was that one thought? It had to do with, with what we were discussing here in relation to Solomon's point. Um, okay, we'll come back to me later. Well, let's go ahead to the last, I say to the last, let's go to the first three verses. And Tom, if you want to go ahead and finish reading it up, reading it out there, and then we'll talk about it in the time we have remaining. And again, if you have any thoughts or comments, um, feel free to let us know. Kind of looking at our chat room real quick. Yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll let Jimmy bring this one in here because I think it's a good point. Jim, Jim says, COVID-19 showed lots of Christians and churches real faith, both good and bad, you know? And that's, you know, when you boil it down to fundamentally faith in the Lord, you know, how, how great is that faith? How far does that faith extend? Um, you know, I have faith in God, but I'm not going to walk off the edge of the Grand Canyon, but mm -hmm. I also have faith in God and know that if I was to fall off the Grand Canyon, I'll land in his hands, so to speak, you know, but good point, Jimmy. Yeah. All right. So Mr. Thomas, if you would go ahead and let's read the next three verses there. All right. Um, Ecclesiastes four, beginning in verse one says, then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun and look the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressor, there is power, but they have no comforter. 
Therefore, I praise the dead who were already dead more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Give that man a cup of coffee. He sounds pretty depressed. Not Tom, but the writer. (laughs) All right. Yeah, there you go. It's in view now. (laughs) Let's see. Let me bring up our gallery. So let's talk about this real quick. Again, you got to keep everything in perspective. What is Solomon's point? What's his goal? Okay. Um, And he does sound very oppressed because he said, or not oppressed, but depressed. Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. This is this is what I was thinking about a while ago. When people oftentimes ask the question or make the statement, well, if God really existed, then explain to me why people suffer. You know, why do babies die? Why do people go hungry? Why are they oppressed if God is truly real? And Solomon addresses that. He kind of talks about that. He, he, he makes the point that, yeah, these things happen. These terrible, bad things happen. Matter of fact, it probably would be better for someone not to have been born. But then as you consider the whole of the book, you see that there is a greater view that must be kept in mind that helps to answer that question. But let's talk about this real quick. Any, any thoughts, Brian, um, on what Tom just read for us here? Well, I see another layer to Solomon's observation. So so Solomon has, first of all, said from his perspective, he has all the power, all the intelligence, all the money to pursue a meaning of life in this world. Can't find it. But then he says, not only did I not find it, but I saw something else. Life's not fair. Um, And he'll kind of uh, go into this by saying, how about those who are oppressed, those who don't have power? We can say power, wealth, intelligence. Um, kind of interesting, by the way, one of the great oppressors in the world at that time is Solomon. He impressed people all the time to labor gangs. I, you know, the, I, what was it that he had, um, 10 to every Israelite had to give two months. I can't remember now, uh, but they had to give a certain amount of labor. So almost every Israelite was bound to him in labor in some way. He had slaves. So, so kind of ironic. He, he knows this. And I think it's impressive that he realizes how unfair it is. But the point is, is that not only is there no meaning in life, but he says there's actually a negative meaning if you're not even, if life's not fair to you. And and we could throw out all the things Solomon could include in this. You can be oppressed by people. You can be oppressed by money, financial problems, poverty. You can be oppressed by health. Uh, in other words, if you're lame, if you're blind, if your circumstances or health are bad, you, there's all these different things that oppress, that make life unfair. So now he says, you know, and life's not even fair for everybody. And if that's the case, you know what? Sounds like it might almost be better that you were, you know, first of all, that the dead kind of have it made. And then he thinks, and you know who's even better than that? The person that was never born. That's kind of an interesting sentiment, by the way, in the Bible, um, when people say that, because a lot of really good godly people have said in the Bible, I wish I was dead. Um, a lot of prophets, Jeremiah says it, Moses says it, um, you know, even Jesus says, I'm, I'm grieved unto death. Not, not necessarily the same thing, but the, the, the point is that this idea to Job will say it would have been better if I'd never been born, you know, um, that, that there's a sense where when people are suffering, they start thinking, you know, if I'd have never been born, I feel like things would be better. And, and like I said, that 
without God, that makes sense. Because what's the value of suffering without God? What's the value of enduring difficult things if there is no uh, great justice and judge over all that, that weighs in our works and things like that? What What is the value of that? What is the value of being the person that, you know, goes through difficult experiences and overcomes them if there is no great justice beyond what's right in front of us. And I think there's that's a big idea of what he's trying to get across here, that, again, not only does this experiment not find the meaning of life, but it actually finds things are a lot worse than we considered in that end. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you know, building on that point, Brian, um, you know, when I think about this world, the way it is right now, you know, I'm, I'm restraining myself with the word I want to use to describe the way the world is. I mean, this world is a pretty bad place right now. I mean, wickedness, wickedness just, it's everywhere. And, and it's going to get worse unless something changes, you know, just the direction that we're headed. And there's just a, there's just a lot about it. And, and, Again, you don't want to be negative uh, from the standpoint of, you know, you don't want to have that dour negative disposition, but you've got to be real. And that's why, uh, you know, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if in this life only uh, uh, we are, uh, let's see, if in this life we whatever it is, we are all men most pitiable. Oh, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most pitiable. And that's if there is no... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, If there's no resurrection. If if all we have is this life. You know, I mean, because uh, this world right now, I I think it's a terrible place, uh, you know, in, in so many ways. And that's not to complain. You know, that's not to complain to God I, I believe that God allows this to happen so that the world doesn't become so attractive to us that we don't see something better. You know, uh, now, the other thing in the point that was made in the text that we need to think about, Ho, you know, you know, Solomon makes that point. It was better, um, it, better yet is not to have been born. And I can see the truth of that from that, uh, from the standpoint of, you know, the one who, the one who's never born, that, that one's not going to face eternity. You know, uh, face judgment for eternity uh, and risk an eternal eternity in hell, which the scriptures teach. But, you know, it's interesting. As Solomon writes that, it doesn't apply to anybody that he's writing to. And and I have to think about that. You know, I can take I can say all day long, I wish I was not born. But I was. And I have reached an age of maturity where I can reason. And so life is what it is. And I have to deal with who I am. And I have to deal with my eternity. So I need to do that. It's, and sometimes that's hard to do. You know, from, from absolutely. Like the, yeah. Because for the moment that we're suffering, you know, here he talks about oppressors in the text, okay? Whenever we're going through those moments, it's like we become like horse with horses with dead blinders or dead horses, going back to earlier. 
you got blinders on and you can't see the good. You can't see the blessings. You can't see everything else. All you see is the bad that's currently going on, whether it's evil or not, or it's just the way things are going in our life that are not going the way we want them to, whatever it may be, it's hard to look beyond those things. But, and and, and we kind of see that there in verse three, when he talks about yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. That's kind of what he's talking about. You know, the man that's not seen that evil work. It'd been better for him not to have been born. But then when you step back and look beyond the evil work, and that's what he'll do as we go through this, of course, it's the broader picture. Um, this is why more people need to read the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, I, clinical depression won't be solved by reading the Bible. But sometimes, sometimes when you need another viewpoint on things, Ecclesiastes, if you read the whole of it, lets you know there is something better. You just got to look beyond the physical vanities and what we're going through and look to something greater. But Tom, I appreciate your thoughts on that. Really, really. Do. Yeah, it, it's about perspective. It you know, it, it, it's about, and, and incidentally, it's about the disposition that you have, uh, yeah. your, your attitudes and so on. You know, I, I actually preached some sermons recently dealing with holiness and I made a distinction between disposition an attitude. I mean, the disposition is who you are. And, and, and by the way, you can develop that. Uh, uh, you can develop that, but your disposition is going to affect your attitudes. That's right. And, and and just the way that you view life. That's a good point. Let, let's bring in a couple comments from the chat room real quick. We'll start with uh, Mike's comment. He says, ever notice that God is the positive while man is the negative? We could not know the blessings of good were it not for the damage of evil, etc. We are blessed to learn them both, but must learn the most beneficial is the positive of God. That's a good point. It is about, as Mike clarifies in the next statement, opposites. Okay. And for a moment, I thought Mike had to go out and mow. He says, great study today. Thanks for sharing. Shutting up to mow is what I thought he meant, but he meant the word now <laughs> but let's bring in um, Aline's comments she says worldly perspectives explains our increasing suicide rates I think that's a very valid point um, you know we haven't that's, really talked one, about of that. the that's one of the issues that yeah. explains and there's a whole bunch more I think uh, you know again I, I, I mentioned you a movie recently that I went to see and uh, give away a spoiler one big part of the movie is this man wants to end his life because he put all of his weight into his marriage and into his job and his wife dies and he loses his job and he has nothing. And um, I just think that that's really, that's really what Ecclesiastes is about. If you put all yeah. of your life into work, success, play, family. Uh, and of course, like I said, we, we live in a society that loves to say, Hey, family's everything, you know? Um, but if that really is everything, that's going to go away one day. All these things go away. And in the end, you're left. Either you had the kingdom in your heart or you didn't. Either you had eternity in your heart or you didn't. It's all stripped away at the end. And then, of course, the big idea is you stand before God and you give an account. And if you lived like Solomon is, is his experiment, and most people do, uh, they live for the now, they live for the, the, the flesh, 
Oh, man, that's even worse to know. That's even worse to find out. That's right. That's right. Also, let's bring in Jimmy's comment real quick. Jimmy says, I agree. Something else most of the stories in the Old Testament show also is how patient God is. I mentioned this to my high school class at church. We might have the patience of Job, but it came down, but come down to it, we'd probably have flipped the switch, so to speak, years ago. You know, and that's a very interesting point. Job's wife said to him, why don't you just curse God and die? But Job's faith in God, although he didn't understand what was going on, nor why it went on, he still had faith in God through the whole thing. And that really becomes our anchor, not just to keep us out of sin, out of living in sin, but to keep us sound and with comfort when we face the various challenges that we have here. So good point, Jimmy. I appreciate that. Too bad and there isn't a Aline Bible Michael, verse. Yeah. Too bad there's not a Bible verse that says hope is the anchor, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Hebrews 6, sounds like something, hope is an anchor yeah. of the soul. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's a great I was going to say, sounds like something the Hebrew writer would have written, but something the Hebrew writer yeah. might say in, around chapter 6, <laughs> verse 19. Yeah. Paul, Paul, the writer of Hebrews, maybe, possibly. <laughs> but it's a good point. Oh, we really want to go there. No. <laughs> That's a whole nother discussion. And Solomon would probably say it's not important right now to talk about that. Striving it's after not, the wind. Yeah, not time for yeah. it. Yeah, talk about that dead dog or even, dead horse. Even if I'm right and Tom's wrong, I don't know what Tom's position is, but I'm sure that's how it's going to play out. Well, Brian, tell me what your position is so that I can oppose you. <laughs> All right, sorry. Truth factor, we foster opposition. Our love language right. is contention. <laughs> there you go. That's funny. That's funny. Well, it looks like it's 1201. We did start a few minutes late, but we're not going to hold you over for that. This will probably be a good stopping point. Let's plan to continue next Thursday, Lord willing. We're going to start there with verse 4 of chapter 4. And in this next section here, we're going to be kind of looking at dealing about more on the vanity of laboring. And we we are left with the question sometimes, what's the point? Um, there, there was, so talking about this whole, this whole current generation, there was some video shared from TikTok of this, this person, this young person having a meltdown, a meltdown that they had to work to live that they had to work a job in order to have a place to live and to have food. I mean, tears, you know, right up there with Tammy Faye, if you remember who that is years ago, you know, just tears and, and a breakdown because they finally realized they were going to have to work for a living. And, um, yeah, someone like that reading Ecclesiastes probably would just pass out after the first couple chapters, you know, but we'll start there though. Chapter four, verse four next thursday okay um guys anything else before we close okay listen i'd like to thank you so much for joining us for our study today if you would like to contact us here's a handy dandy card right there that talks about how to do that um you can contact us individually there's our email addresses 
And you can also send us an email to questions at truthfactorlive.com. We do take text messages. And so if you have a question or thought, especially if it pertains to our current study, we'll be happy to to uh, incorporate it in our next upcoming study. If you have a question you'd like for us to address, depending on how, the urgency of it, um, we may hold it off until our next Q&A study. But, you know, if it's something that you would like to have answered sooner than later, let us know, and we'll do our best to try to answer that at our next study, which will be, of course, next Thursday. And that'll be next Thursday at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. We'll continue our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. Join us on our Facebook page, Truth Factor Live, or our YouTube channel, which is also Truth Factor Live. And we do a little Twitter stuff at Truth Factor Live as well. All righty. Thank you, folks. And everybody, say bye. Bye. Hey, y'all have a great week. We'll see you back here again next Thursday.